One of the parables that uh, Jesus tells, which I love by the way, is actually an industrial relations nightmare. Um, and if there's one thing that I've learnt from working in, in a couple of different mid-sized workplaces, the one thing that staff hate more than anything else is the thought that somebody else might be getting a little bit more than what they deserve. Uh, because that probably then occurs to them, well, maybe I'm not getting as much as I deserve or, or maybe I should be getting as much as what they are. Let me tell you this parable that, that we just heard in modern day terms. Um, and I probably should get Cybrand to tell this because it's the workers in the vineyard and uh, Cybrand's probably got more workers in the vineyard than any of us here. But uh, an employer has a fair bit of work to get done and so at six o'clock in the morning he arrives at the local muster point for job seekers. Those who, who really want a job are there at six o'clock in the morning ready to start. And he says to the fellows there, he says, look, come and work for me for the day and I'll give you $300 for the day's work. Now, that's a fair wage, but it's not, it's not exorbitant, but it's fair. And so they happily go off to work for the day. Then at nine o'clock in the morning, he goes to that muster point again. And there's people there again looking for a job. Now, they obviously didn't make it by six. Maybe they got a, got a young child at home and they were a bit, bit sleepy and, and didn't get up early enough to get there at six. And Anyway, he says, look, the day's already started, but go and work for me as well and I'll give you what's fair. And they agree with that and off they go to work. At 12 midday, he comes back to the, to the spot again and, and there's still people there looking for work. Now, obviously they weren't too keen to work, the fact that they weren't there by 9 o'clock in the morning, but anyway, they're there and he says, well, look, you go and work for me too. And then again, he comes at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he, and he gathers up some more workers. Now, I don't think it'd be really worthwhile doing that, but this fella, he's obviously not the normal boss, and he picks up another bunch of workers at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I'd think that would be the absolute cut-off, but he goes back again at five o'clock. And at five o'clock, he gathers up some more workers again. He says, go and work for me for the rest of the day and I'll give you what's fair. And um, when it got dark, at about six o'clock at night, he said to the foreman, right, oh, it's time to pay off the workers, but I want you to pay off those who started last and pay them first and then finish off by paying the, the early starters. So when the workers who started at five o'clock in the afternoon came for their pay, they were sort of probably thinking that they'd get enough that they'd just be able to get a bit of fast food at BP on the way home just, just for their tea. But, but they handed him, them a $300 cheque. They'd only been working for an hour and he gave them $300. And so those who had been there a bit longer were starting to do the maths in their head, hmm, 300 bucks an hour, we're going to actually get pretty good pay here. But, of course, they all got paid $300. When it came time for those who had put in the full 12-hour day to get paid, they were shocked. Actually, they were appalled because they only got $300 and they said to their boss, hey, look, this just isn't fair. We've been here all day slaving through the heat of the day for 12 hours and we get $300, whereas these other clowns, they turn up at, at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. They obviously didn't want to work. They've sat at home watching the telly with their feet up in the air, with the, with the air cooler on all day during the heat, and then pop out for an hour in the cool of the afternoon and you give them the same as what you give us? That's just not fair. And the boss says, friend, I have done you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for me for $300 for the day? 
Now take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me or do you begrudge me my generosity? Now who here can understand the feeling of being a bit put out there? I can understand that. Uh, You see, the principle in the world is fairness in equity. But that's not the kingdom of heaven. That's not the principle of the kingdom of heaven. The principle of the kingdom of heaven is grace and generosity. Now, that story of Jesus isn't telling us that we have to go and do that in our business practices. Um, What he's telling us is he's telling us what God is like with us. The principle of the kingdom of heaven is grace and generosity. It's extravagant generosity. It's generosity from the master to the undeserving. You see, those clowns that started at five o'clock in the afternoon, they didn't deserve a full day's wage, but the master was extravagantly generous. And the punchline that Jesus gave is, so the last will be first and the first last. Unfortunately, whoever made the decision on where to put chapter and and verse numbers in our Bibles uh, sometimes do us a bit of a disservice um, because we tend to then chop it up into little bits and pieces. But you see, chapter 20 that we just read today continues on from chapter 19. Jesus has been talking about rich versus poor and how the first will be last. Um, And last time I preached I told you how in the world view, their world view was that the rich were blessed by God. Um, And therefore the rich, if they're getting blessed by God, they must be the better people and therefore they'll be blessed in the afterlife as well. But Jesus turned all that on its head when he said to his disciples, his disciples who had left everything to follow him, his disciples who now had nothing in an earthly sense, he said, Truly I say to you, in the new world when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. He was saying to his disciples in a financial sense, you mightn't have much in this life. But you're going to be rewarded in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on from that point to tell the story about this generous boss. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the master of house who went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. And then he tells the story and then he finishes it off by saying again, The last will be first and the first last. So what's he talking about? It's an engaging story. It gets your attention and gets your mind racing, thinking about it, doesn't it? About about these workers all getting paid at different amounts. But what's it really about? Well, firstly, I believe he's talking about the Jewish-Gentile thing, and I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. Each of the Gospels have their own specific flavour, and Matthew is a thoroughly Jewish Gospel. 
Something we need to know and understand is the Jews are God's chosen people. The Jews are the chosen people of God. They have been the long-term God followers. But when Jesus Christ came into their midst, they largely rejected him. But Christ didn't only come to save the Jews. We heard in today's reading, Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jews and Gentiles. And we find this coming through in the Gospel of Matthew over and over and over again. Jesus isn't just for the Jews. Jesus is for the Gentiles as well. That's us. And in this regard, we who are Gentiles are latecomers to the covenant of God. We're probably like those who have turned up at three o'clock in the afternoon or five o'clock in the afternoon. Because of the genetics that we carry, because of our, our history that we carry, because those things are not Jewish, we are not the chosen people. We do not have a birthright to be known as children of God. But in Jesus Christ, he turns all of that on its head. Jesus Christ, who is a ransom for many, who gave his life. In Christ, those who are last, us, the Gentiles, become first. If we believe and trust in Christ. He chooses the unchosen. He cleanses the unclean. He purifies the profane. God is extravagant in his grace as he wills. Now, maybe there might be a few Jews in the world who think that's unfair. You have no right to be worshipping our God. You know, what's this Jesus business? You know what? God says, do I not have a right to, to dish out my grace how I choose? The second thing we can learn from this parable is the very nature of grace and salvation itself. One day I explained to somebody about salvation, about our need for salvation, about the grace of God, about how if we got what we deserved, well, we'd get death because that's what we deserve, Um, but how by the grace of God in Jesus Christ we are forgiven and we receive life. And when I finished explaining about salvation to this person, well, actually, as I was doing it, I could see the offence start to build on their face. And, and they said to me, when I'd finished, they said, are you telling me that if somebody was a murderer and a rapist and abuser of children and then on their deathbed they turned to God that they'd be forgiven and get to heaven? While a sweet little old lady who didn't believe in God but... You know, used to volunteer on all of the different organisations all over the place and, and just did good deeds her whole life because she didn't believe to God she'd get to go to hell. Are you telling me that that's what it means? And I sort of quickly ticked things over my mind. I thought, yeah, I've explained that pretty effectively, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what it means. And you could just see the offence just overtake them. Well, that's just not fair. And if that's what Christianity is about, well, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Friends, fairness doesn't have anything to do with it. If I got what I deserved, I'd go to hell. But by the magnificent grace of God, 
I am saved from death to life. And that's your story too. Now, I was fortunate in that I was brought up in a Christian family. Like these kids are fortunate to be brought up in a Christian family. And for me, I can't put my finger on a time where I I can't say I didn't know God. And so very early in my life, I was saved. So in this story, I might be considered one of those who who were there at six o'clock in the morning to, to, to start work. But that's irrelevant. The gift of salvation is that I am saved. And I have no right to be upset with somebody who, who late in life comes to faith in the Lord. I'm, I'm no more deserving than someone who has been an absolute rotter for 80 years and then repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. It's got nothing to do with what I deserve. It's got nothing to do with what they deserve. And it's got everything to do with the amazing grace and forgiveness of God. I think it's Angus Buchan who says, good people don't get to heaven. Saved people get to heaven. I think it's important for us to learn that. Good people don't get to heaven. Saved people get to heaven. Because we can never be good enough. There was only one who was good enough and that's Jesus Christ. The world killed him. The first will be last and the last will be first. And often those who feel that they are a good person will never come to Christ because they're full of self-righteousness. And you try and tell them they need to be forgiven of their sins and they'll get all indignant and take offence. Well, that is the offence of the Gospel. That is the stumbling block. I have to realise I can't make it without Christ. And that's what makes the extravagant grace of God so wonderful and so amazing. But often it's those who know they are evil, who know that they need a saviour. And so they fall on their knees in repentance. And so the last shall be first and the first last. The very nature of grace and salvation. The third thing we learn today is about taking on the nature of a servant. Jesus Christ is the ultimate Lord and Saviour, Lord and Master, and yet he took on the nature of a servant. Now here's a principle that we need to understand. You are not saved by serving, but you are saved to serve. And when the disciples argued over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, I can just imagine Jesus going, oh man, when are they going to get it? I can just imagine that. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's actually talking about Roman rule. The Romans ruled them with an iron fist. The Roman Empire had power. And they used it. And there was a hierarchy of power. Of course, the pinnacle was was the Roman emperor who was almost seen as a god. But their rulers exercised great authority over them. Those who are high up the tree have power. 
And it's true of today as well. Those who are high up the tree have power and they pull others down under submission to them by using it. That's how it worked for the Gentiles in Jesus' day and that's how it works in the world today. Now in the world, the powerful might lord it over the weak. The rich might lord it over the poor. The educated might lord it over the uneducated. But in the church, Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. If you want to be great in God's eyes, be a servant. If you want to be first in the kingdom of heaven, be a slave. And that's what the kids' illustration was about this morning. Don't put yourself first hoping to get the best lolly. Be the servant to others. Put others first. Think of others first. If you want to be first in the kingdom of heaven, be a slave. Let me tell you, one of the greatest destroyers of churches is self-seeking of power by its members. Now, I might be a leader in this church, but if I'm not a servant leader, I'm not a godly leader. I'm not here to lord it over you. I'm here to serve God and I'm here to be a slave to you as you are a slave to me. See, a church full of slaves is a healthy church. And if we all view ourselves as slaves, slaves of God and slaves of one another, then we've got the right idea. But a church filled with those who seek power, a church filled with those who wield power, and it doesn't even have to be filled, it only takes one person in that church who seeks power and who who wants to exercise power to get things their way, well, that can just destroy a church. See, a church like that becomes dysfunctional because it's not an expression of the kingdom of God. It's an expression of the kingdom of man. Now, you've all heard the saying, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. You've heard that? Well, it should not be like that in the church. Some churches are like that, where people want to make the decisions and everybody else has to obey where some do want to lord it over the others, but in the Christian church Jesus says, you shall not be like that. You see, because in the Christian church, chiefs are Indians. In the Christian church, the greatest is the servant, the slave, the poor, the uneducated, the unappreciated. The one who cleans the toilet is just as important as the one who preaches a sermon. And often it's one and the same person. Um, in fact, I don't know if you've ever heard of, of Flush Ministries or the Royal Flush. The last thing Robin and I do each time we leave church is we go to the toilets and check that they're clean and press the buttons. We've been doing that for years. And it's amazing the number of little parcels that we find there. <laughs> Jesus Christ came to serve. We too 
are to serve. But let me clarify this. Some of us are happy to serve, but we are not so happy to be servants. Do you know what I mean? Do you know the difference between serving and being a servant? Some of us are happy to do stuff as long as it's what we enjoy. But a servant is someone who counts his rights as nothing. A servant is someone who serves others first, who always puts others first and themselves last. Now Christ wants us to be servants. One is about what you do, that's serving. One is about what you are, and that is a servant. And Christ wants us to be servants who serve. Always putting others first. So the last will be first and the first last. I love worshipping with you guys. Um, Because I I, I really get the feeling today, I've actually, and even as I was writing this message, I thought, I've got got to give the message because this is what it's about. But I feel as if I've been preaching to the proverbial choir. I don't feel that people here try to lord it over one another. Um, if, if you have the feeling, please come and tell me <laughs> later on um, because if that ever happens, we need to change that. But it's, it's good for us to be reminded of the extravagant grace of God. It's good for us to remember that we are recipients of it. It's good for us to, remind, for us to be reminded that not one of us is greater than the other. It's good to be reminded about how God loves us and therefore how we should love. It's good to be reminded that Christ was a servant and we too should be a servant. But I also get the feeling that some of us feel that we're not important. We feel insignificant. And you know what? that's okay. The world would tell you, don't feel like that. Don't feel insignificant. Don't undervalue yourself. But you know what? Christ says, count yourself as nothing. It's okay to feel insignificant. Be a servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be the servant that you are. Those who run the show are not the great. Those who who are servants of God and servants to others, they're the ones who are great. So if you feel that you're insignificant, I'm here to tell you that that's okay. Don't seek to be great because you already are. There is significance in insignificance. See, everything that you and I do on this world is for an audience of one. You don't have to be noticed by men. You don't have to do it for self-gratification. Be a servant for the one who knows everything. Be a servant for the one who knows you intimately the Lord Jesus Christ.
who was himself a servant, but is now exalted to the highest place. 